Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. The McPherson Financial Group bringing you this hour of Bill McLive. It's the 15th of November, 2022. And uh, on these Tuesdays at 8 o'clock, we suspend normal operation and take you to a real classroom where Mr. Peabody throws us in the Wayback Machine and Dave Bowman brings us Dave Does History. Dave's in Silverdale, Washington, gets up bright and early for us to join us on these Tuesday mornings. And uh, always an interesting look at something in our past with relevance for today. Dave Bowman, good morning, my friend. How in the world are you, sir? I'm good, Bill. Glad to be here. And it's always fun. Thank you for getting. I know it's it's tough to get up early. I mean, I do it every day, so it's not tough for me. But on the other hand, it's pretty early for you. But then we get started here. We have cats, so it's not it's not that <laughs> difficult to get up. So, you know, if I had cats, I wouldn't be here because I would do things like stop breathing. And that's not a good thing. So I want to be um, clear. They're not mine. They belong to yeah. my wife, but they're all convinced that I am their caretaker. So, well, you're their servant. They're cats, after all. Because I'm the only one that'll get up when they call. Yeah, exactly. That, that'd that be it. Dave, where are we going today, man? When we left you with this story, not last week, but back in August, we had talked about the Navy and their worst defeat in blue water history. The United States Navy lost over a thousand sailors, four heavy cruisers. It was the Allied forces. There were some Australians involved with that. And... The country, the Navy, the world was just shocked at how badly the United States Navy had been defeated at the Battle of Savo Island. And, and we talked about this in, a, in great extent on that August day where that happened. The problem with that defeat after the invasion of the island of Guadalcanal, which was the first Allied offensive during the Second World War in the Pacific, the... The problem was that it wasn't just the shocking element of the defeat. It wasn't just the fact that we got our butts handed to us in that night battle. The problem was it left the entire invasion, the entire offensive, really hanging by a thread. The Marines were left on Guadalcanal with literally just their thumbnails to hang on. They didn't have any supplies. They didn't have enough airplanes. They didn't have ammunition. And and so instead of being able to push the Japanese off the island, all they could do was hang on to the little area that they had just around what would eventually be known as Henderson Field, which is still there. You can go on Google Earth and see it. Um, and and this was really, this was really dangerous. And if you you looked at the strategic situation, it was not. As, I mean, today we look at it, we go, well, we were guaranteed to win. But in in November by. August to November of 1942, 80 years ago, that was not certain, nor was it clear, and nobody knew what was going to happen. And as the fight continued on around Guadalcanal in that time frame from August to today, November, there were a lot of fights. There were there's several naval battles. The, the Battle of the Eastern Solomons is a carrier battle, much like you know Midway and Coral Sea, but it doesn't go 
the Navy's way again. We, the USS Enterprise is badly damaged. It takes months to repair of it. Uh, by the end of August, the Japanese are running what is known as the slot with the Tokyo Express. They're bringing destroyers and fast ships down from Rabul to Guadalcanal every night. They're bringing in more supplies and more Japanese soldiers. The land battles that they're fighting on Guadalcanal are just vicious. The Marines are hanging on, but literally by the skin of their teeth. They're being bombarded every night by the Japanese Navy. And it seems like the United States Navy can do nothing about this. There's another night battle in the, in the slot area there that the Navy kind of wins. But again, we lose so many ships, it's hardly worth winning. You know, it's kind of like what the British said about Bunker Hill. You know, we don't need any more wins like that. Uh, it's getting, be, getting to be bad. But everywhere you turn, the United States Navy is getting its, its hiney handed to it. The, the USS Wasp. Uh, submarine sinks the aircraft carrier U.S. Wasp in one of the most, uh, br- it's a brilliant attack from a submarine standpoint. I got to admire it. But it costs the Navy a carrier and a battleship because the USS North Carolina's hit. And by mid-October, the Japanese are now using battleships, the biggest ships they have, to bombard Henderson Field every single night. And at the end of October, there's a battle around the Santa Cruz Islands to the east of Guadalcanal, which is notable because the USS Hornet gets sunk, the carrier Hornet, which was found, I think it was last year, by Paul Allen's group. You can see the, the pictures of the wreckage. But what's remarkable about this particular battle is the USS Enterprise, which has returned to the fight, doesn't get sunk, doesn't get seriously damaged. And the reason it doesn't is because the USS South Dakota which is a brand new battleship, shoots down 26 Japanese airplanes in this fight, which is just an incredible, incredible event that hitherto had never happened before. And it's, Was there a technological advancement or something that helped them do this? There are tactical change? What's going on? There's three things that are involved here. Number one, the use of the, the brand new American fast battleships, which are heavily armed with anti-aircraft weaponry. Number two is radar. And number three is South Dakota has a captain who doesn't give a rat's behind about shining brass or holly stoning decks. He cares about shooting and he trains his crew to shoot. And they shoot very, very well. In fact, Ooh, nobody will ever come back to this. So it's an amazing thing. And we'll tell you more about what happens after all that. In just one minute. Chateau Madeline, one of our sponsors here on Bill Mick Live. If you've got a senior loved one and there's an assisted living type situation in their future, you want to consider Chateau Madeline. Why? It's resort style senior living and memory care in an environment that has a real beautiful home where life can get better with first-class nursing care on site. You can go to SuntreeSeniorLiving.com and take a look, but better yet, do what I did. Take the tour. 321 701-8000. Schedule a tour. You're going to see that the staff at Chateau Madeleine is every bit as impressive as the amenities that you find there. Eric Hardoon, the executive director at Chateau Madeleine, ensures that your senior home one, a loved one deserves a home like Chateau Madeleine. Again, it's 321-701-8000. Resort-style senior living where life can get better. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. All right, Dave, let's see what's happening in this battle. So as the battles have intensified, the attrition has become just really overwhelming. And the United States Navy is literally getting down to the bottom of the barrel of what they have available to fight to support the Marines on Guadalcanal. 
who can't take the offensive because they can't get the supplies. And this entire operation is really hanging in the balance. What we don't know, because fog of war and that sort of thing, we don't know what the Japanese are going through. Post-war, we'll find out. But right now, for all we know, they have more of everything and faster and better. And we already know their nighttime fighting abilities are far superior to ours. So it's getting depressing. It's getting concerning. And on the night of the 13th and 14th of November, last night, the Navy is desperate. They've got to stop these Japanese ships from bombarding Guadalcanal. But they have almost nothing left. And so they send a few of what are known as light cruisers in. And these light cruisers get absolutely, once again, mauled by the Japanese. Wow. And this will actually become, you know, we talked about Savo Island back in August being the worst defeat. This is probably number two or three. I mean, it's bad. We lose multiple cruisers. And in fact, one of the cruisers that will be sunk is the USS Juno. She gets hit by a torpedo that night and she's damaged. The next morning, she's trying to limp away. She gets spotted by a Japanese submarine, which torpedoes her and sinks her. Of her 373 crew, only 10 will survive. Wow. And they will spend eight days in the water before they're rescued. And amongst the crew lost are five brothers, the, the Sullivan brothers. All five of all them serving are serving together on the same ship. All serving together on the same ship. They are lost in this singular sinking. And that just absolutely blows the country away. When this woman, this poor woman in Waterloo, Idaho, Iowa, sorry, gets five telegrams from the War Department in one day, it's, it, it actually is this and, and an incident in the United States Army are really the, the incident that inspired the films, you know, Saving Private Ryan and the, and the likes of that. And it changes U.S. policy. We don't allow brothers to serve on the same ships and in the same units anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where that comes from. This battle is so bad last night, the 13th and 14th. It's the only time in history that the United States Navy will actually lose two admirals in combat. Norman Scott is killed by friendly fire, and Daniel Callahan is killed uh, when the ship is hit by the Japanese. The, the defeat is just, I mean, it's, it's horrible, Bill. I, I, I don't know that we, today we don't think of these terms, you know, losing a thousand people in an hour. We don't think in those terms, you know, I and mean, we, we're used to how many people that we lose in the, in the, the war on terror, six, 7,000, maybe, you know, we don't, we just don't have, and that's just, over 20 years, right, right? We just don't have this comprehension of this bloodbath that this thing was becoming. And that doesn't even count the battles in Europe, the battles on Guadalcanal, anywhere else. But what you're saying is we need a taste of Armageddon. Yeah. In some ways. Um, wow. But what's amazing about this is that even though we just got our butts kicked again, it was just enough to convince Yamamoto, the great Japanese admiral, that, well, this didn't work. Maybe we should try something else. And tomorrow, today, he's going to try something else. We'll find out what that something else is as we continue. Dave Bowman joins us for the hour as Dave does history. Take a look at World War II and... 
the second or third worst defeat in Navy history? What does it lead to? Dave's going to let us know. We let you in on it as well at 321-768-1240 as we get the opportunity. See links to uh, Dave Bowman's podcast and his bibliography for the history that he brings us. They're posted for you at BillMick.com on today's show page entitled Gender Education and Political Fatigue. Yeah, it's been an interesting show thus far, getting even more so with Dave Bowman with us. Don't forget, Light Rock 99.3, your Christmas music 24-7, and uh, lightrock99.3.com. We're back with Dave Does History in Moments on WMMB. Hey there, submarine fans. Let me talk to you about the most exciting thing in currency, the goldback from goldback.com. Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution says that states are actually legal to create currency as long as they are made of gold and silver. And now there are states doing just that. They've made moves to protect their local economies for possible future failure of the federal paper U.S. dollar or the entire credit system by legalizing and making their own currency using, you got it, gold and silver. The exciting news is the subvet.com is now an authorized dealer to purchase your gold backs right on our website. Be sure to email me at eric at the subvet.com or you can call me at 720-277-9333. Be sure to check out the gold backs on the subvet.com and then get ready to secure your family and future with the power of fractional gold currency. Get your gold back from the subvet. Dave Bowman joins Bill for our weekly look at the past. We're kind of hoping to learn something new or at least have some fun, you know? It's Dave Does History on Bill McLive. The McPherson Financial Group bringing you this hour and uh, Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington, bringing his uh, expertise on history to the table every Tuesday at 8 here on Bill McLive. Spacelaunchschedule.com brings you our launch uh, schedule page at BillMick.com. Look in the on-demand section there, keeping you up to date on launches from here locally and for those around the globe. Let's get back to Dave and see what's going on. Dave, we've moved it up to uh, the night of November 14th, 15th in this particular battle. Tell me what's going on. So Admiral Yamamoto, the Japanese commander, has decided that he wants to do a massive landing of troops on Guadalcanal and push the Americans off, push the Marines out. But because of what happened the night before, he's he's a little hesitant, and he thinks we need one more really good night of bombarding this island. We need to really, really flatten things before we do this. So he's going to send his his biggest, best battleship at the time, the the Kirishima, and a bunch of cruisers, and they're going to go down there and just absolutely flatten them. But he's going to do something just slightly different. He's going to wait until the middle of the night instead of earlier in the evening. He's going to do this because it's going to be a very, very dark night, and he knows that his optics are really good. He knows that the Americans can't see in the dark. He knows we're just going to go in there and flatten it, and he can't believe they have anything left. And, of course, the Navy barely has anything left by this point. In fact, Admiral Halsey's looking around. He's going, literally, the only thing I have left to try and protect Guadalcanal. I have two battleships. Remember the USS South Dakota? 
Mm-hmm. She's there. And I have the USS Washington, brand spanking new. Now, both the South Dakota and the Washington had spent time in the Atlantic covering convoys. They both arrive over here uh, back in August, September. And, but they're, you know, South Dakota participated in the Battle of Eastern Solomon, shot down all those Japanese planes, but, but they've never really been tested in ship-to-ship combat. And he's got an admiral. He's running out of admirals. He's lost a couple of night before. He has an admiral by the name of Willis Lee, whose nickname I'm not going to tell you because it's racist, but Admiral Lee is a very confident and competent admiral, and he has four destroyers. That's it. And these four destroyers aren't even from the same squadron. They've never worked before, worked together before. The only reason he has these four is because they're the only ones that have any fuel left in them, enough oh, fuel wow. to patrol. That's it. That's all they have left against the coming Japanese fleet in this night battle. And so as they get ready to head out, as Admiral Lee gets ready to take his task force out with Washington, South Dakota, and these four destroyers, he has one thing that the Japanese don't know he has, and in fact, most of his own fleet doesn't know he has, which is two battleships that are equipped with radar. And this is the first time radar is going to come into play in a ship-to-ship combat in the Pacific Fleet, in the Pacific War. The Japanese are overconfident, and they are ready to, what I like to say, kick butt and take names. They are mm-hmm. ready to push the, ja- the, the, the Marines they off the They think this is the final push. They are absolutely certain that it is. They outnumber anything the Americans can offer. They're, they're better at it. They're certain that this is going to be it. The night of November 14th, clicking into November 15th, the two fleets, two task groups are approaching each other right in the Iron Bottom Sound between Savo Island and Guadalcanal. We'll tell you more about it in 60 seconds. Our hour being brought to you by the McPherson Financial Group. Art and his staff working to help you make your retirement just what you want it to be. You uh, reach out to them at 321-253-2016. They'll give you a complimentary review of your current retirement plan and then sit down with you and start working toward bettering that plan and making your retirement just what you need it to be. I'm meeting with them today to do the very same thing on my plan. So good opportunity for you. Call the McPherson Financial Group at 321-253-2016 or see them online at mcphersonfinancialgroup.com. The McPherson Financial Group LLC is a financial services firm offering a broad array of products and services to include insurance and annuities. They are licensed in Florida. Yeah, they compensate me for the endorsement, but they also handle my financial planning, and I'm darn glad they did. The McPherson Financial Group bringing you this hour of the show. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. All right, Dave, what's going on now? These two fleets are creeping towards each other. Creeping is kind of a bad term. They're they're doing somewhere between 20 and 25 knots towards each other. So a combined approach speed of about 50 knots coming mm-hmm. towards each other. Problem is the Japanese spot the American destroyers first, those four destroyers. And they just absolutely rip those destroyers to shred. They sink all four of them. And as one of them is sinking, the South Dakota is having some problems with her electrical breakers. They keep tripping. And one of her engineers says, oh, I know how to fix that. And he basically wires all the electrical breakers open so that they're, or I'm sorry, closed, so that they they can't trip offline, keeping power going. Well, if you're in any kind of electrician, you know this is a pretty bad idea. 
And of course, it shorts out all of South Dakota's generators. She has no electrical power at all. None. Oh, wow. So she can't see. She can't run her radars. Anything that's electrical powered isn't working. And right in her way is one of the destroyers that's sinking on fire. And so she has to kind of kick around it to try to get, you know, so that they don't collide. Well, the problem is when she does that, she gets backlit and silhouetted by the fire and the Japanese see her. Mm-mm. Washington, meanwhile, has, you know, her radar going. The problem with radar is it doesn't really tell you who's who. And everybody is so close that it's hard to tell. So she's holding her fire. Well, when South Dakota gets silhouetted, the Japanese open up on her. They hit her 26 times. And the amazing part of this is as badly as they hit her, as many times as they hit her, they barely scratch her. I mean, they cause some damage, but nothing that would have really put her out of the battle if she hadn't lost all of her electrical power. Okay. They fire some torpedoes at her. She sees those coming. So South Dakota starts, you know, getting out of the way of the torpedoes, which takes her away from the battle. Meanwhile, Washington which the Japanese have not seen, is now 9,000 yards away, which is basically point-blank range from the Kirishima. And now she knows who's who on the radar plot, and she knows we got them. And she opens up in one of the most famous photographs you've ever seen. I, I sent you the photograph. Yeah. You see that the Washington's gun barrels are almost horizontal. This is point-blank range with a 16-inch forty-five caliber gun. She will just rip into Kirishima. By the time she's done, 12, 15 minutes later, every gun on Kirishima is out of action. She's flooding. She's listing. She's on fire. And nobody on the Japanese side has any idea who's doing this. They're just like, we didn't know. We never saw her. We never Where did saw, they come from? We never saw Washington coming. We never saw that. The next morning, Kurashima will actually roll over and sink. She's still there. Bob Ballard explored her many, many years ago. The the Washington uh, is, is that where the Japanese admiral running the attack is, is on? Is he on that? No, ship? no, no. He's he's okay. back in rubble. So the the bottom line of this is Washington has so spooked the Japanese that now's the time to run, and run they do, and they will never come back in the same amount of force, and they will never again try to take on the, the Washington off Guadalcanal. As Maxwell Smart would have said, missed it by that much. They were about to take it. Just about there, and Washington almost on her own stops it. We've got more with Dave Bowman and Dave Does History on Bill Make Live. We'll open it up to your calls at 321-768-1240 as we continue. Don't forget, coming up from Glenn Beck through Sean Hannity, once an hour, an opportunity to win $1,000. It's our nationwide $1,000 inflation bonus contest. Let's get that $1,000 in your hands before the holidays. Keep listening. Enter the keyword at WMMBAM.com. Back to wrap up today's history lesson in moments on WMMB. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pine Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and and everything, stuff. 
<laughs> Listen to Two Pint Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bill Mick with WMMB Radio in Melbourne, Florida, where we have a governor that will actually stand for what's right. My show airs mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern. Every day we discuss news, politics, and social issues that impact us all. Tuesdays in our 8 o'clock hour, Dave joins me for something we call Dave Does History, where Dave brings us events from our past that contain lessons for right now. To listen live, find WMMB on the iHeartRadio app. Don't wait till the last minute. The radio clock waits for no one. Call Bill now at 321-768-1240. Alpazar Law with their 10th annual Thanksgiving turkey giveaway. It's an online event only. Go to WMMBAM.com. Find the events page on demand. Register there. Alpazar Law wants to see you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Giving away 500 gift cards to help purchase those Thanksgiving turkeys. So, Good idea. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history every Tuesday on Bill McLive. And we've uh, gotten to the end of this particular battle and uh, the Japanese surprise, Dave, by what actually had happened at the end. And were we surprised, too? I don't think we were surprised. I know Admiral Lee was not surprised. He he basically planned this whole thing to go almost exactly this way, except for South Dakota shorting out our generators. Mm-hmm. The the surprise victory was really, I mean, it, it was inevitable, I think, in a lot of ways, because Washington is the pinnacle, almost the pinnacle. She's the penultimate uh, class of battleships uh, before the Iowas will hit. She, um, in that moment, that photograph that I was talking about that was taken, shows the Washington firing her main battery during this, during this fight. And again, the guns are almost at horizontal. This is point blank range. And... As impressive as that photograph is, Bill, and I've showed it to you, imagine being the guy that took that photograph. So you run up topside, you run all the way out to the bow of the ship in the middle of this fight with shells going every which way, tracers, explosions, fires, and you stand out there on that deck and take that photograph as the ship fires her main battery at the Japanese fleet. I mean, you're saying being being an armed forces journalist is not the way to go here. And you didn't even have to have a degree for it. Yeah, so, exactly. But it's a it's an amazing photograph. And when you consider what's happening in that moment, that in essence, the United States is winning the Battle of Guadalcanal right at that moment. There'll still be two to three more months of fighting, but but that's the turning point right there. It's the last major attempt by the Japanese to retake Guadalcanal. Uh, by a few weeks later, the, the Americans are starting to get their ships back, repaired, uh, Saratoga, Enterprise. They're starting to get new aircraft carriers new battleships, a lot more destroyers and cruisers. And the Japanese end up going on the defensive on Guadalcanal. And by the end of January, two months from now, they're going to be evacuating Guadalcanal. And that will secure the island, complete the first offensive. And it's the first step of a very long road to the victory in World War II. At the end of the war, USS Washington will be used for what is known as Operation Magic Carpet. She becomes basically a, a troop ship. She carries troops back to the United States, and she ends up getting retired. And in 1960, the Navy makes the decision that they no longer need her. She's obsolete. And they scrap USS Washington in 1960, which is a sad end 
to a very proud warship, but it happens more often than you would think. You sound as though you're lamenting that decision. I am, because uh, South Dakota gets scrapped too. But it, it, to me, no sailor likes to see a ship get scrapped. We'd much rather see them get sunk, you know, in a live fire exercise or something. Scrapping mm-hmm. is just, it just hurts. In 2016, though, a new USS Washington hits the water. It's a submarine, SSN 787. And the great thing about the submarine Washington is on her crest, in the background of her crest, is a silhouette of USS Washington, the battleship, shadowed out, hidden just like she was that night, uh, in the shadows from which she destroyed the Japanese at Guadalcanal, paying homage to the great name that that submarine carries, USS Washington, which on November 15th, 1942, 80 years ago this morning, stopped the Japanese at Guadalcanal. Dave, that's well done. I appreciate it. We get to your calls for Dave at 321-768-1240 in just a moment in this hour that's brought to you by the McPherson Financial Group. Another of our sponsors is O'Galley Electric. You know, they've been bringing you our Operation Stormwatch page and our Stormwatch coverage last week. Well, they also bring you the ability to not have electrical problems during the storm or the battle you're facing because they have and in stock for you, Generac Home Standby Generators. These generators keep you operating as per normal when commercial power is not available to you, whether it's a hurricane or other event that takes power away from your neighborhood. They're in stock, and it's a turnkey operation. O'Galley Electric provides all the permitting taken care of by them, and when they uh, get her all hooked up, it's ready to go for you from O'Galley Electric. Call O'Galley Electric at 321-425-3343 or see them online at eg electriccom O'Galley Electric, a veteran-owned and operated company. Chris Hughes, their president, a uh, graduate of the United States Military Academy and a um, disabled veteran of our military. What a great guy, too. Great company doing great things. O'Galley Electric. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. Let's get to those phones, Dave. We check in with uh, line one. You're on Bill Live. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Mario. What are your thoughts for Dave here today? Dave, the um, the Japanese were, were, were a, a, a very, very militant uh, society, you know, for like a thousand years, and they had a tremendous uh, uh, background in, in 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 naval battles, and, it, and and even recently, you know, at that time, they they had been fighting the, uh, the the Russians and defeating the Russians, and they were they were very experienced at large scale naval battles, covering tens of thousands of square miles all over the uh, the earth. The uh, and so I'm guessing that to some degree, our navy was outclassed. In terms of that kind of experience, well, when we went to war in World War II against the Japanese, experience-wise, yes, we were. You know, we were a country of peace. We were a country of, you know, we we didn't have a huge navy at that point. That would come about in the late '30s as the rise of Hitler and the the loss of the Washington Naval Treaty. The thing to keep uh, you know in mind about uh, the Japanese and American relationship, though, is that. In the in the post World War One era, the United States and Japan were very, very good friends until 1924, when the United States passed the Immigration Act of 1924 and specifically targeted Japanese immigrants. And the Japanese were very offended by that, 
And it actually led to the fall of the Japanese government that was very pro-America, very pro-Western Westernization, and, and it led to a, a militant government in Japan, which, of course, slid into imperialism and the war uh, in the Pacific. It's just one of those lessons of history that's kind of like, are you sure you really want to do that? I get what you're trying to do, but is this the right way to do it? And it probably wasn't the right way to do it. And it may have been one of the leading causes of the Second World War in the Pacific. Wow. Dave, question comes to my mind. The U.S. Navy, the Admiralty there, and changing learning tactics, getting new technology. Who did they learn from? Who did they watch to learn these tactics? Was it the Japanese? Was it the Brits? Was it the the Germans or the Russians? Who was it? The Japanese never really adopted radar during the Second World War. They they would experiment with it. The, the, the use of radar and ship-to-ship, uh, the Germans pioneered it. The British mm-hmm. copied them. But really, neither one of them did some of the things that we did with it. Uh, we developed what was called the CIC, the Command Information Center, which is a room on board all major warships. They still have it today, where all the information from radar, observations, everything comes into that center and then is analyzed in real time and used to guide the battle. We we kind of invented that. We did it for, for battleships. We did it for uh, cruisers. We did it for carriers. There's a room on board carriers even today where they control the air battle. It's not the captain on the bridge. It's the command information center, the CIC. And that, I think, was really our key innovation was command control. Even today, that's, that's considered one of the huge parts of maintaining a, a military force is command control and communication. And we really mastered that during the Second World War, and radar allowed us to do that. Very, very good. Um, the Japanese had, had really outworked us up to that point, and this night made a huge difference. The Japanese had two things going for them prior to, the, prior to radar. They had the, the optics, the, the binoculars and uh, rangefinders that they used had really, really good optics. And they had that Type 93 torpedo, which was wakeless, long-ranged, and very fast. And we, that caught us by surprise. We had no idea that they had that. And considering all the problems that we had with our torpedoes across the board, we weren't used to seeing other people's torpedoes work that well either, because even the Germans had problems with torpedoes. But the Japanese mastered that. And even at Pearl Harbor, they they managed to figure out a way to keep those torpedoes from diving too deep into the mud of the harbor. And, and very innovative, very creative, and very tactically adept. But when the strategic situation passed them by, they weren't able to really compensate for that. And it doesn't matter how good your tactics are. If you're strategically losing, great, you're going to lose the war. Yeah, very true. Line one, you're up next with Dave Bowman on Bill McLive. Good morning. Hey, Dave. It's Keith from Palm Bay. Um, great story. Um, great history. Uh, how much did um, the China-Japanese war, uh, how much were we participating in it, and was it part of the cause between Japan and America? And did it derive from the immigration thing, and then we supported China or something? Good question, Keith. Dave? Well, the war in China begins with the invasion of China by Japan in 1936-1937, rape of Nanking, stuff we don't like to talk about because it's, you know, it's too oogie, too ooky. Um 
the war with China is important. And by 1942, of course, we were starting to send forces to China, primarily aircraft, to bomb uh, Japan and strategic targets in the southwestern Pacific. I don't know that it was ever the focus, nor do I know that it, it, Japan invaded China five years before, they, before we got involved with the war. I don't know that that would have ever drawn us into the war. Moreover, you had the Chinese Civil War that got put on hold between Mao and Chiang Kai-shek. So, you know, you had the communism thing going on. Who knows? I don't think it would as a driving force, but it certainly was important. We get another quick call in. We got uh, several to get to if we can. Line two, you're on with Dave Bowman. Good morning. Good morning again, Bill. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of working with and for the uh, German radar man who developed fire control radar. Oh, really? Bob, we're losing you for some reason. Appreciate the thought. Interesting bit of history there. Line three, you're on Bill McLeod. Good morning. Hello, Bill. Yes, go right ahead. Oh, okay. I, I, a, a quick uh, thanks to uh, today for making uh, making our, our week really entertaining and, and adding some real pizzazz to your show, Bill. But uh, um, went just got back from a uh, San Diego Marine Depot graduation. Had a uh, grandson graduated in the Marines. Over a million Marines trained through there. But the uh, I saw the pictures of Wild Canal in the museum there. It's incredible, incredible how the uh, they, uh, Marines there survived that battle. And, of course, the Navy was actually doing it. But, but I guess the, the – the- we got to leave it there. The show's about done. Dave Bowman, it's been an interesting, interesting uh, hour. What are you anticipating for – we're not together next week – uh, I learned we'll a new be... word this bill. I, I learned a new word this week, Bill. Yes, irrefragable. Irrefragable. And you can't prove that I don't know what that word means. And that's what I'm going to talk about on my show this week. Oh, that'll be fun. And uh, we'll get together after Thanksgiving and do this again. How's that sound? We'll see you then. Thanks, Dave Bowman. Always appreciate you, buddy. McPherson Financial Group made the hour possible. And I'll see you tomorrow for a wide open Wednesday. Bring us anything you like whenever you call the show. And uh, we'll see where you take us. That'll be my last day before Thanksgiving. And uh, Joe Pags will be sitting in for me while I'm out. So uh, we'll get back with Dave Bowman in a couple of weeks. I'll get back with you in the morning at 6 on WMMB. We'll see you then.